When the AIDS epidemic struck the United States in the early 1980s, little was known about the new disease. Doctors still didn't understand it could take years for HIV to develop into AIDS, and the tests weren't always reliable. So thousands of HIV-infected couples had children, often unknowingly infecting the baby. Many other children got HIV through transfusions with tainted blood products. At first, doctors expected youngsters with HIV to die in childhood, and many did. But then came antiviral drug treatments like AZT and protease inhibitors, which helped thousands of youngsters stay alive. Now it's estimated there are more than 10,000 young people living with HIV or AIDS. Being a teenager without a chronic illness is difficult enough, but for teens with HIV, the journey can be complicated and lonely. Producers Stephen Smith and Stephanie Curtis of American Radio Works supplied tape recorders to three teenagers with HIV to help keep a record of their young lives. They prepared this documentary report, The Positive Life. I'm 15 years old and I go to high school at New Smyrna Beach High. I'm a freshman and I'm HIV positive. I got it from a blood transfusion when I was born. And ever since then, my life has been just a little bit different than others. Actually, Tanya's life is a lot different than other kids. She was gravely sick from the day of her birth, and doctors didn't diagnose her HIV disease until she was five. All they knew was she got sick a lot. She was in the hospital almost monthly. That's Tanya's mom, Brenda. They told me actually when she was a newborn that she would never leave the hospital. She left the hospital when she was three weeks old. Then they tell you when you find out you're, you have AIDS that you not to expect to make it two years. And she passed that, and then they told me, the experts told me not to have, she wouldn't make it to 10, and now she's 15. And a half. And a half. Oh, pardon me. Hello, Amanda. Where is Elsa? She's not here today? Lunchtime at Tanya's high school starts at 10.30 in the morning. Mostly the same people sit with the same people. It's just not always in the same spot. We're not the populars and we're not the dweebs, so we're in the middle. <laughs> I'm sorry, Colleen, but that sandwich looks really, really nasty. <laughs> Tanya loves her high school, especially drama class. She'd like to be an actress, but she's also taking classes to be a caterer. Tanya has a ready, mischievous smile, dark eyes, and thick, wavy brown hair. HIV slowed her growth, so she's shorter than most of the other kids her age. Tanya has a chronic and often painful disease in her legs from taking an experimental anti-AIDS drug when she was younger. So a lot of the time she rolls through the school hallways in a wheelchair, which makes her an inviting target for pranksters. Hit me again! Just hit me again! Come on! I enjoy it! In the socially obsessive, self-conscious world of high school, a wheelchair is unwelcome social cargo for a girl who secretly longs for romance. Have you noticed that most songs are like about love and stuff? Like, this girl dumped me, or I want you back, or something like that. Have you noticed that? It's all about like couples and stuff, it's weird. Can 
Tanya lives with her mom in a small Florida town near Daytona Beach. On most afternoons, you can find Tanya hanging around the house with her best pal, Abby, listening to music. Abby's mission for the past several months has been to set Tanya up with a guy. Hi, is Chris there? Okay, just tell him Abby called. Thank you. He's grounded. Oh, grounded. Even better. Until Wednesday. Wednesday? Wednesday. Does he have a crush on me? No. Figures. <laughs> I had a feeling he didn't. Why would he? Nobody has a crush on Tanya. She's the AIDS-infected girl. Do you think it scares boys off? Definitely. Mm-hmm. Wheelchair, too. You'll think that scares them off? I have this big four-wheel thing that I'll run them over with. They mess with me. You think that's not going to scare them off? That will scare them off. Thank you. Do we have any cheese stuff, Mom? Roxy, get back out there. Roxy, out. So if you did go on a date, what kind of a date? What's your dream date? With I don't Chris. have one. Right now, I'm looking for a date, period. I don't have a dream date. She wants to go to the movies. Yeah, the movies. That works. So far, Abby's recruiting mission is a complete flop. The problem is, boys that Abby tries to snag for Tanya invite Abby out instead. Tanya says she's always being asked if you can get HIV from kissing. It's unlikely. And from Brenda's point of view, any kissing would be more dangerous to her daughter than to the boy because of Tanya's poor immune system. She gets a boyfriend and he's got some kind of infection of some, you know, even a bad cold or whatever, she's going to get it if she's kissing him. That's gonna happen. She catches everything. And so I have to grow yeah, up eventually. And you're miserable when you're sick. Yeah, so that's okay. a concern for me. Not her, but me. As the mother of a girl infected with HIV, Brenda never thought she would have the pleasure of maternal anxieties about dating and kissing. But Tanya's years of taking anti-AIDS medications have paid off. Her health is stable enough now that she doesn't have to take the drugs, and Brenda is guardedly optimistic about Tanya's future. When she was five, it was, let's go pick out the casket and, you know, what colors and where do we want her buried and that kind of thing. And now it's, well, where does she want to go to college and what does she want to be and will she ever be able to have children? Will that ever happen? And is she going to be able to find a husband? And that's the kind of thing she thinks about now. There's nobody, 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 nobody that I know. Anybody I know, I would not go out with because I know them. (laughs) I've known them for years. You know what? What? You got a long life ahead of you, kid. Okay. What's the hurry? They're very instructive. So here's a, a group of them I have here. At the National Institutes of Health in Bethesda, Maryland, Lori Weiner heads a counseling program for children and teens with HIV. Tanya was one of her patients, traveling regularly to Bethesda for checkups. Weiner pulls out a stack of paintings she asked Tanya and other kids to make, symbolizing the stages of life with HIV. Here's someone, you know, where they first found out they were eight years old, and all they knew is they were going to die. And for the years, the web, it's a picture of a black and white web, was circled around with blue, and the outside of the webs was new medicine, and that was um, when they were nine years old, and then keeping secrets in school, and how many years they did that, and then coming out, telling the truth. Wiener says that younger children tend to worry about medical aspects of the disease most, like nasty-tasting medicines, or getting sick all the time, or death. 
Teenagers have a different set of worries. For every child, going into adolescence is different. But clearly, socialization becomes very important. Wanting to belong, wanting to be able to have a social life, wanting to be able to have friends, wanting to be like everybody else. For many of the children infected with HIV, puberty is delayed. Many of the children are shorter in stature um, and in weight and feel different in terms of their physical appearance than other children their age. And unlike the other kids, youngsters with HIV typically have a complicated medication schedule. They take a lot of pills during the school day, often slinking off to an obscure spot to gobble down their medicine. And something else may set them apart. Their families are also traumatized by the disease. Students with HIV may go home to parents who are themselves disabled by AIDS or have already died. By one count, some 30,000 American children have lost their parents to AIDS. What? We're going to interview you. Tanisha made this tape with her sister and her sister's baby. What's your ball here? <laughs> her name is. Could you stop talking about my baby, miss? Nothing's thinking it's time for you to call 1 800 Jenny Craig for this baby. Tanisha lives with her grandmother in a small house crammed with an assortment of siblings, uncles, aunts, and cousins. Tanisha doesn't want her real name used on the radio because most of the people in her Chicago school and neighborhood don't know she's HIV positive. This is me and my sister. This is me and my mom, Doug, and Rhonda. Tanisha's photo album shows the toll of HIV. Snapshots of family gatherings include a few relatives who started avoiding Tanisha when they found out about the disease. They kept her from holding or playing with their children. And the pictures show her mother, emaciated and exhausted, before AIDS finally killed her at age 29. Tanisha was seven. This is my mom and my cousin Phil. Last you year. do look like your mom. Man. <laughs> How'd your mom get HIV? Um, she was doing drugs, but then she didn't know that she was pregnant. So she went to the doctor. She found out. I know if she knew she was pregnant, she wouldn't have did it. Tanisha's grandmother is raising her now. The girl is tall and strong for her age, with long limbs and wavy black hair that tumbles down her back. Her legs are covered with the nicks and bruises that an active girl gets. For a person with HIV, her health is good. Tanisha's never gotten a life-threatening infection. And as she grows older, Tanisha's natural teenage impulse for rebellion sometimes collides with the extra protectiveness that comes naturally to adults who care for a young girl with HIV. Her grandmother says Tanisha... is a very sweet girl. She's spoiled. Oh, she spoiled? <laughs> By the whole family. And we all love her, and she loves to have her way. And sometimes I think she can run me. And when I stop her, she gets so upset. But then she knows she got to do what Mama says. Some people say I'm a tomboy because I, I be right out here wrestling with the boys and stuff. My grandmother, she be so shook up. Oh, don't do that. Don't do that. I don't want you to fall and cut yourself. You know, sometimes I think my grandma just a little too unprotected of me. I told her, hey, grandma, I'm big. I'm not, no, I don't, I'm not your kneecap size anymore. I mean, I'm almost tall as you. I'm be a teenager in about a couple of more weeks and, I'm, I'm, you just have to get used to me out and playing and falling. 
get down. Matthew. Sometimes I don't like when I get a cut. My grandmother go get gloves and bleach and all that type of stuff. And I mean, that, that sometimes it does offend me because well, she has to get all that stuff. Like it's so dangerous. Like if she touches, it's going to kill her when she could just wipe her hand off or something. But I, I understand that the, the virus that I have is dangerous. And I understand that she don't really want that. She don't want it. But my grandma always tell me, you know, your blood is dangerous, your blood spill. No, I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Don't put your mouth on it. Say, Bubba. Bubba. <laughs> and I hope I don't never get sick, and I hope I live a long time. I have a niece and nephew that I want, I would love to grow up and see them grow up along with me. My goal is to finish high school. Um, I want to get me a job when I get 16, and I want my grandma to start a savings account for me, and I want to get me a car. I have a birthday coming up, and I'll be 13, and I'm glad I've been living, and my doctor told me that I'm doing very good. Thank the Lord that I wake up every morning and can walk and talk and hear, run and touch and play and feel just like everybody else. In spite of her teenage defiance, Tanisha is actually quite careful about staying healthy. But other kids with HIV sometimes try to prove they're like everyone else by taking risks. They drink or get into drugs. Some risk the health of others by having unprotected sex. For a young woman who gets pregnant, drug therapies can reduce the risk of passing the disease to the baby from about 25% to less than 8%. But pediatric HIV specialist Catherine Samples encourages her patients in Boston to recognize the likely problems. How will you feel um, if the child does turn out to have the infection? How will you feel if you're very sick and can't take care of your child? And what, is, what are your plans? Those are issues that adult people deal with also when they have HIV and decide that they're going to have children. But it's more complicated when you're a teenager and still at the age of denying that these things are ever going to happen to you. We don't ever say to a kid, um, this diagnosis means you can never date, you can never have a relationship, you can never have children. We talk about the pros and cons, and we talk about being available to help if their decision includes a decision to have sex or a decision to have a child. But while the burden of a childhood with HIV compels some young people to take heedless risks, others grow up faster than their peers and seem far more cautious and thoughtful than typical teens. In a working-class neighborhood of Boston, Mark found out he is HIV positive in seventh grade. He was 12 years old. Mark is a hemophiliac. He got the disease from contaminated blood products. From the moment he found out, Mark kept the news a secret. Many young people with HIV do, even today. I knew I was going to wait until I graduated high school to tell my friends that I was HIV positive. Because I wanted to go through high school as a normal kid and not as a boy with AIDS. I didn't want to be picked on and beat up and made fun of every day because I had AIDS. We decided not to be upfront with very many people at all. 
Mark's mom, Diane. Because if you walk up to somebody and say, oh, I have multiple sclerosis or cancer, they don't back off and treat you any differently. But when you went up to people and said, this was in your family, they didn't want to talk to you. They were so afraid they would just catch it from talking to you or drinking out of a water fountain with you. None of that's true. Since graduating, I said every night, that I'm going to tell my friends tomorrow night. But every time that time rolled around, I chickened out. I was scared and I just backed out and I couldn't do it. I don't, I just, I just don't want to lose friends. As I get older, new um, challenges come into play, such as when I'm going to college now, I'm going to have to tell my roommates that I'm HIV positive. Danny, you're finally awake, huh? What is this, clackers? What's going on? So I'm thinking one day when I take my medicine, they're going to say, what's that for? As well they might, Mark chokes down a fistful of antiviral drugs several times each day. And then I'll just come out and say, it's because I have HIV. I'm going to check my mail. On campus, Mark seems like any other college guy. He listens to bands like Godsmack and Korn. He stays up too late, then in the morning downs a hostess apple pie and a carton of chocolate milk for breakfast. He studies, he drives around in his car. This is Limp Biscuit. I guess it would be nice. If I could touch your body, I know not everybody has got a body like me. But I gotta think twice before. Because of HIV, Mark's never really had a major girlfriend by his own choice. As of now, I decided not to have sex. Before I even think about putting somebody at such a risk, I gotta really, really love that person. But then, if I really, really love the person that much, how could I even think about putting them at that risk? And if I were to ever give anybody HIV, you know, it's pretty much like killing somebody if I did. My name is Natasha, and I'm one of Mark's good friends. And, okay, if you find a girl, you should. I, I mean, it's not necessarily like you should say, hey, I'm HIV positive, like, on the first day. You know what I mean? If you find a girl, they're a nice person, they know you from the inside and out, and then once you feel comfortable, I think you should say something before anything gets, like, you know, intimate. What would be, like, your reaction if, like, after, like, a few dates with somebody, they told you that they were HIV positive? I'd be like, okay, so what do we do now? You know, if, it, it depends on how the serious, like, the relationship was going. Do you know what I mean? If it was, like, date fun, like, you're just going out, you know, you go out and kiss, whatever, you know, have a good time. But if we were planning on doing anything, then we'd have to figure stuff out along the lines of that. It wouldn't be like, oh shoot, I gotta run away now, you know? I mean, really. Not long ago, Mark finally told his roommates about his HIV. He says the guys seemed kind of underwhelmed about the news. Mark even made a presentation about his disease in a speech class, and no one bolted for the door. 
After years of concealing this significant part of his life, Mark is relieved and a little stunned that it's not such a big deal to others. You know, when, when you learn that you have HIV, with the way today is, you, you know that you aren't going to die right away. You, you know that, especially with the protease inhibitors that are coming out now with the cocktails that they're called, mixed with all different medicines. You know, people are no longer dying with HIV. They're learning how to live with HIV. And the only thing holding people back from living with HIV is other people putting them down. Let the love and let the love and come back to me. This is Stephen Smith, Minnesota Public Radio. The Positive Life was produced by Stephen Smith and Stephanie Curtis of American Radio Works, the national documentary unit of Minnesota Public Radio. It was mixed by Craig Thorson. Production help provided by Nancy Fusion and Nathan Williamson. Special thanks to Joe Richmond. The program was edited by National Public Radio's Deborah George. The executive producer for American Radio Works is Bill Buesenberg.